Blog Talk Radio. Six men. Radio. 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 about three months, so it really does go fast, but sometimes when you're young, you really don't realize how fast life is getting at you, and next thing you know, you're an adult in the world just, you know, going about your life and trying to figure things out, and if you don't already have someone that's been behind you and kind of guided you to where you need to be, it's kind of tough out there as an adult, so today's show I'm really pushing forward and putting another foot forward for Bodega Fresh by introducing more motivational factors, especially for our our people, my black culture, and my kings and queens that are out there living life, maybe struggling. My guest today is actor, motivational speaker, former professional football player, author, and which is the main reason I have him on the show today, Jay Barnett. Jay Barnett, say what's up to the people. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? Thank you so much for doing the show. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, now, we met at the Black Enterprise Modern Men Viewing of War Room, you know, and uh, I didn't know about the the whole movement about you know, the VE Modern Men movement. And there was so many different dynamics of beautiful black men there and uh, different elements, finance, entertainment, um, you know, motivational, inspirer was your title. And because of that, I, I, I was really, like, I saw you on the screen and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Of course, my first thought as a woman is like, that's a good-looking man. Man, what's going on here, you know? <laughs> So Inspirer, <laughs> Inspirer, I'm like, he's inspiring people, huh? Well, let me go find out what he's inspiring here. And come to find out, you have currently two books out on the market. And um, it's called, uh, the first one knowing is Finding Our Lost Kings and Queens, Strategies for Empowering Our Future Kings and Queens. And also you have one directed for the ladies as well. And that title is escaping me, and I apologize for that. But tell them the title about that one, too. 
Um, the the title of the uh, second book is Letters to a Young Queen, and yeah. um, the uh, subtopic is that is uh, redefining their throne. And so, uh, very excited about uh, that uh, book, and um, which is also a segue to my boy's book that is coming out in 2016, titled mm-hmm. Hello King. Um, the title of this is uh, Hello King, and um, and the subtitle for that one is uh, Claim Your Throne. That is amazing. I'm excited to hear that. I'm just going to, like, start a little from the beginning because, you know, the biggest question is always, you know, when you see a brother and and he's doing what he does in this world, you're wondering, you know, what exactly got him to this point, especially you are out there speaking to a certain age frame that a lot of people don't want to deal with, you know, like 13 to 18-year-olds that are out there in the world, lost, Some they don't have their parents and everything like that. So I want to start by saying, you know, you grew up in Mississippi in a small town called Gunnington. I definitely want mm-hmm. to hear about Gunnington right now. you got to tell me how it was growing um, up. Uh, Gunnington um, is a very small town. Um, it was a very... Uh, uh, a blue collar town. Uh, mostly everybody there were sharecroppers. Um, my grandfather was a sharecropper and uh, also an entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. So he had a, a, a small store. Um, everybody knew everybody. Uh, my family were one of the largest families in the town. Um, wow. My dad has uh, seven brothers, uh, three mm-hmm. sisters, so it's 11 of them total. So, and most of them were um, athletes, very athletic, big, strong men. So, you know, they had a name in the town. You know, everybody uh, were fascinated from the Barnett men. You know, they were known as hardworking men. Um, My upbringing uh, was a a very good upbringing for the most part in my uh, development years. and, uh, you know, we was practically raised by my grandmother most of the time because my parents worked a lot. And uh, and then my father became a minister. And after becoming a minister, he began pastoring. And so uh, growing up in a small town where everybody knows you uh, has its pros and cons. You know, just as much as everybody know of, know of you, everybody knows your business. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that... Uh, as I grew older, you know, I uh, experienced the, the consequences of that, you know, because when my parents, when my parents divorced, you know, it was uh, all over town, and, you know, having to go to school and deal with the, uh, the uh, ridicule and with the gossip, you know, what happened and what my dad did, you know, more, uh, a lot of that was very challenging. And How so, old were uh, you when that happened? My parents divorced when I was 13, but um, their issues, the issues started when I was about seven or eight and kind of, you know, uh, kind of spiraled and kind of, you know, progressed and grew. Um, and I think, you know, now that I look back in, um, you know, retrospect, uh, is that my parents um, were young when they got married. Uh, right. And I believe that they were uh, two different people that really didn't understand, um, you know, what they were doing and, 
And I think they, they grew apart because here my mom was a first lady and being a pastor's wife and my dad was being a pastor. And I mean, I don't, you know, I look back on it, I don't think they had a clue of what they were doing. And right. um, <laughs> so, you know, they made a lot of mistakes and uh, they had uh, a lot of trial and error. And uh, just seeing my parents in the beginning of that, you know, being a first family, you know, everybody sort of... Uh, envy what we had you know my dad was pastoring two churches so you know we lived well and you know we had nice things and we never went without and all of a sudden you know things took a turn for the worse and watching my father be someone in the pulpit and then another person at home really drove me into a very dark place because I began to see uh, the hypocr uh, hypocritical uh, lifestyle of saying one thing and doing another. Right. Hmm. So, in the in the first book that you have out, you, you do mention you know your journey and what brought you to this place. So when that started to happen, you really, you know, why you on one hand wanted to be almost like your father. You wanted to be even better than him, and you. You had um, disdain for him at the at that time, you know. Right. That makes right. you feel as a youth. Well, you know, for me, it was uh, it was very heartbreaking because you know here was a man that I idolized and a man that I just loved and a man that I um, you know I, I emulated him yeah, very well. You know, I, I wanted to be just like my dad. You know. Uh, he was a great athlete, great football player. Uh, he's a great preacher. And, you know, these were all the things that I wanted to become. And after seeing the divorce and how ugly it was and seeing things in the church um, up, you know, face to face, I really drove me in a dark place because the man that I idolized became a man that I began to hate and resent because of the things that he uh, put my mother through. And, um, it was a very, uh, it was, it was very, you know, it was very difficult to try to understand how all of a sudden things took a turn for the worse. You know, one day we are family, and all of a sudden they're fighting, they're screaming, yelling. So uh, it, it it was very, uh, I mean, it just it was it became chaotic, you know, for us to uh, live in and. You know, we were a family that was once full of structure, and all of a sudden, we were functioning in chaos, and <laughs> and, and it became the norm. Mm. I have two, I have two sisters, and uh, I'm the oldest. And you know, my parents divorced, and you know, my mom moved us to Texas. She left everything behind, the house, and left everything to start a new life. And here we are, uh, going from. Uh, a house and uh, cars and two-parent household and, and two incomes to all of a sudden we went to nothing. Um, you know, we were homeless. We were homeless for three years. So we struggled a lot. And a lot of that drove me into a deep depression, uh, a deep hate and resentment toward him because, you know, he was a man that preached so hard about families and being the uh, father and being the man that your children needed to see, and he was nothing as, as what he what he spoke about. 
and it just it, it, it never set with me because how could you be such a great pastor and such a horrible father and a horrible husband? And how did that make you feel about about God and religion even? Well, like I had to at that time, in. you know, at that time, uh, my dad had uh, got me started into youth ministry at an early age. Um, I was speaking to youth at the age of ten, at the age of nine years old. I was speaking to teens um, at the age of nine and ten. I was teaching, uh, I was preaching, I was traveling. My parents took me to churches to speak, and so you know, this is not something that I just started. Um, I was a licensed minister by the age of twelve. Um, I don't really talk about it because um, I walk away from God and I, I forgot about God. I left everything because I was just like, man, how could God let this happen to my family? You know, mm-hmm. how did how could all this stuff go on in the church and, you know, the hypocrisy that was, you know, that I was seeing, you know, firsthand. It was just like, man, really, is this what God is about? And so it really uh, altered my faith and my belief as a kid. And I had to become the man of the house, and I had to become this backbone for my mother. Uh, I had to become um, this leader, uh, this father, brother, you know. So I had to step into the role, you know, of a, of a father. And I still needed to be, and I still needed to be father. And I longed so much for my father to be there, and just you know, never got the attention, never got the you know, the pat on the back, the encouragement. And it just drove me to a deeper, 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 deeper uh, hole. So one day I looked up and I became a cutter as a teenager. Uh, I became very isolated. Uh, I became depressed, not knowing what depressed was, just became quiet, didn't want to talk, didn't want to smile. I wanted to sleep a lot. I hated everybody. You know, I had a lot of anger and not understanding where those things came from. And you know, and, and you know, and, you're, and when you're raised in the church, and your spirituality is challenged, and you see things too soon, it tends to alter your perspective. And I felt that this whole God thing, this whole family thing, this whole church thing is a load of crap. This is exactly what I felt. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is already your journey started so early. Definitely. Yeah, start. Like, yeah, man, you man. were teaching the teens at nine years old. That had to be yeah. that had to be something of a phenomenon, especially coming from where you were coming from, and then to speak and had to speak it must have been very eloquently for a nine year old to to have people's attention that way. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that's probably why yeah. you're so. Because when I see you, and then I've I've watched you, you know, since I met you, I've looked at what you've been doing watch your YouTubes and everything like that. And I'm like, it's so genuine. Like, how does he, how does he so aware of everything like that? He's not that old. You know what I mean? So, you know, people take it like, you know, he's not that old to be this in tune with how people actually are, you know, especially the youth, you know? So that's amazing. So, but even through that, you went to college you graduated with a degree. You did reach, you know, professional, you know, uh, football. So mm-hmm. it seemed you still were motivated to to take it to the next step. You know, to, to yeah. prove to everybody, I guess, to like, yeah, I am 
this person and I am, I want to be better than my father, you know? So right, it seemed right. like you were still motivated, but right. in the book you say you were still depressed. Um, yeah, I was still depressed because a lot of it, um, a lot of it came from, I never had closure, you know, um, as I was pursuing and as I was driven because I was driven from pain and I was driven by hurt. And anytime that you're driven by pain and hurt, uh, eventually that fuel is going to fizzle out because what happened is that place that you're pulling from eventually is going to run dry. And when you don't have a place of passion that you're pulling uh, or, or that you're uh, driving from, it, 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 it becomes a drought because what happened is, is that when you're no longer um, attached to what has hurt you or who has hurt you, now what is the drive? Because all of a sudden, one day I wake up and, you know, I'm looking at, you know, I wanted to go to the NFL, to, to I wanted to go to college, I wanted to do all of these things just to show my dad to say, you know what, I did it, man, without you. And when I, when I did it, it it still did not render the fulfillment or the satisfaction that I was looking for because he had moved because he had moved on he had remarried you know he had moved on and so and I think a lot of times that what we have to learn is that even when we are hurt we must heal not only from the people that hurt us but we must heal from the hurt itself because if we don't we can't keep pulling from that hurt because it, it's, it's a place. Keep hmm. a home to, to keep alive and to keep that motivation. And what happens is motivation only lasts for a moment. Right. And it has to be something that inspires you to go beyond what was or what did cause that pain. And so it wasn't until one day that I had a conversation and I asked God, you know, why did you allow me to get to the NFL and you did not allow me to really, you know, uh, taste. Um, you know, you gave me this appetizer, but I wasn't able to, you know, enjoy the entree. God says, because you wanted it for the wrong reason. And he says, you wanted it to prove a point. You wanted it to show and put it in his face. But he says, I need you to understand that the man that you are resenting is that you are hating a man that can't be no more than what you can be. Because he says, you upset him because he wasn't a perfect father. And I wasn't. And so I struggled with unforgiveness and I struggled with resentment. And I was still battling, like, why can't I move forward? Why am I still unhappy? You know, I was the first. My dad has other kids. And so it's a total of seven of us. And the other uh, two uh, or three are older than I am. And so and then you, you have the three by, you know, uh, my mother. And so I'm the first out of all of these kids who graduate and go to college and, you know, do all these great things. This man has never said I was proud at this time. 
He's never said. He just, good job, good job. And I'm like, dude, what the hell, man? And then I realized, and it wasn't until I was talking to my pastor, and he said, son, your dad can't give you no more than what he has. And that's when I started to understand, and my heart began to soften. And I began to understand that you can't expect anybody to operate and function in the capacity in which they don't have the ability to do. And so, and so what happened is that this passion to help build young kings and queens through my books and through my message came from my mother because she had no understanding what being depressed meant, what mental illness was. All she knew was just to play. She didn't know how to deal with it. But all this time, she kept telling me, Jay, you're born to be great, son. You're a king. And I had no clue what that meant. Right. And you know, I had no clue that it meant that I was still in control in spite of everything. And I didn't understand that that passion and that drive that I had for football, I had to learn how to channel it for something else positive to benefit more than just myself. Because football benefited me. What I do now benefits others. So uh, my journey, even though it has been a challenging one, a difficult one, surviving two or suicide attempts, uh, being depressed most of my teen years up into my mid-20s, you know, and really coming out of that and really exposing the truth about mental illness in the black community as an African-American man, as a, 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 an athlete, as a man of masculine, uh, masculine structure. Like, it was, it, to, to me, it was very uh, pivotal uh, that I exposed that to shed light to help other people because what I realized is that so many teens were struggling because when my parents divorced, that epidemic started uh, the baby boomers. At that time, most of the kids that I grew up with, most of their parents are not married. So it was just like a wave. It was like a wave just hit. You know what I mean? And it was just like everybody just started getting divorced. It's just like, what the heck? And then the whole time of baby mama or you know my baby daddy that whole error that came is 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 it's really crazy it, it seemed like i don't know like a like a systematic plan almost because it was right. such a big wave and what what shifted like i had a conversation something like what shifted in our culture where what where the whole family structure was a thing that fell apart and it lasted for so long. Like, what exactly shifted? Do you have any ideas on that? You know, I, I, I believe what happened is that nobody had any uh, nobody had any knowledge of what they were doing, mm-hmm. and nobody had any skills to be married. And I think a lot of them were when uh, they were just you know uh, emulating what they saw their parents do. You know, when I look at my parents, uh, uh, parents, you know, and I look at where I am today in, in this, this this generation, you know, the baby boomers were really um, a byproduct of the generation that had worked and slaved and, you know, 
they have fought through, you know, racism. They fought through the whole civil rights movement. And finally, you know, with my parents, you know, you had that breakthrough that everybody was able to get credit. Everybody was able to start making a little more money. Everybody was starting to progress a little bit. And so what happened is I think, you know, as we progress in all these other areas, we didn't grow, you know, mentally. We didn't grow, you know, uh, as far as developing as individuals. And what happened is everybody knew how to have a wedding, but nobody knew how to be married. And so, uh, and, that, and that's what I look at. That still stands to this day. That still stands yeah. to this day. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and it's funny. Me and my mother talk about it all the time. And she and I look back, and she was just like, "Jay, you know, me and your dad, you know, we didn't have a clue. You know, all we knew is that you know we were young, twenty three, twenty four. You know, and we didn't didn't know what we were doing. And I think there wasn't as much available as resources and as material as practical tools that were available for them to learn how to build a family. So you had people married 10, 15 years and all of a sudden they was walking out. And yeah. the uh, the result of it was that the kids were broken. Right. And so a lot of these broken kids never got fixed because what you don't repair, you will repeat. So, and you have a lot of uh, uh, my generation that are repeating the same thing. And broken Parents raise broken children. And you have this epidemic to where nobody understands how to build anything in a, in a, uh, a family structure. And so it's created this uh, self-gratification uh, 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 mentality across, you know, society. And I feel like with my message and what I'm doing, if I can grab them at that age that I needed guidance, that I needed the attention, that I needed the development. Because in those 13 through 17 years, those are pivotal years because you still have a sponsor-like mind and whatever you are, uh, whatever somebody's pouring into you and whatever somebody's feeding you, that is what you want to ultimately become. So if I can catch them at that age and change their perspective and change how they see things, that will alter their choices on who they choose as spouses, who they choose to hang with, who they choose to become. Allow them to see the options that are available instead of taking what is, you know, presented to them. And that's my mission, you know, when I get before these teams. And I'm so aware because Nothing has changed as far as the dynamics of brokenness because teens want attention and not attention to say that I need to be seen, but they want somebody to care. Right. And I believe that is the uh, that is the uh, uniqueness that I have when I'm speaking to them. They can feel the genuine, you know, uh, 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 interest and the compassion that I have for what I do and it's not something that I'm doing just to you know be seen or doing just to say hey I work with kids because I remember when I first started this and it was mm -hmm. two kids 
that I was working with. I was working with three boys, two white guys, two white boys, and a black and a black kid. And and all of a sudden, I look up. There's ten kids, and all of a sudden, I look up. I'm working with fifty kids, and it was just kept growing. And it wasn't until one day I was out here in Texas, and I was working with six kids. I was driving by almost an hour to work with six kids and mentoring them and developing them and, and, and working on their physical and mental capacity. Um, and so, uh, and, uh, you know, we're outside and, you know, we're working out and, you know, talk to these kids. And I'm just like, God, really? Six kids. Mm. And something said, look out there. I said, God, I just drove almost out for six kids. And something said, I need you to look out there again. And when I looked, I saw a field of kids everywhere. And when I saw these kids standing there, God said, now you're seeing with a different eye. Because what you're seeing now is, is vision. Looking at those, you being able to see those six kids is a function of sight. You seeing those multiple kids standing in the hundreds it's a function of vision. So that's when I started to grasp the concept. Said, okay, God, this is where you're calling and, 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 and pushing me to. Because he took what I began doing as a kid and brought it full circle back to I was an adult. And he said, I would never let what happened to you move further than where you want to go because I need you to stay connected to the hurt and pain. It does not feel the same, but I need you to stay connected to it so you can know how to recognize it when you see it. And that is what keeps what I do authentic. Some of the things I want to uh, read, um, some of the things that this people have described your book, Finding Our Lost Kings, and also Letters to a Young Queen. One person said, I almost cried, but held back. So moving and inspirational. Another person said, not your typical inspirational book. Definitely a powerful message, a must-read. Um, another person said it was mind-blowing. And one last one, and, you know, I don't mean to toot your horn, but, you know, even my friend... Um, Santry Simon, who has a son who's 13 now, she's bought the book for him, and he's told his friend about it. For kids wow. at that age to tell their friends, hey, you need to read this book at that age, it it is it speaks to what you're doing. And, you know, how does that make you feel when, when, when kids are saying that? Like, I told my friend to read the book. It changed my life. Oh, uh, to be honest, oh, my gosh, um, it's it's so humbling because um, it's 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 a, it's a feeling that I, I can't explain. Um, it's um, man, it's, it, it leaves me speechless every time because I think back to those times where I was uh, getting ready to take my life, and I I, I felt like I was uh, very insignificant and in being on the face of the earth. And, mm -hmm. you know, felt as if I had no value or had no reason to be alive and to see, you know, uh, 
what I have done and, 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 and what I'm doing and to see how it's impacting these kids. Because to me, every young boy I ever met, I see so much of myself in them. You know, whether it's a kid without the dad, it's a kid that that uh, that's trying to fit in, it's a kid that, you know, he's uh, he's smart, but he dumbs himself down when he gets around his friends. And it's like even I see a lot of myself in the girls, you know, you have that look, you like, you just, you know, you, you're scared. Uh, you, you don't know. Um, you want to be loved. You want somebody to reach out. You want somebody to care. So when I hear kids uh, speak of my book like that, it's just, it, it, it keeps me, you know, very uh, humble and keeps me very, um, you know, uh, uh, sincere, I mean, or sensitive to the, the will of God and his call. And it also reminds me that God has kept his word, mm-hmm. you know, because he and, because he and I, you know, we, we, we did, uh, you know, uh, make a deal or, you know, uh, or, or uh, I sort of put, you know, some pressure on him. I'm like, yo, you know, I told him, I said, listen, if I'm going to stay here, what what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I never forget him saying, and I'm hearing a voice saying that I'm going to take you places that the NFL could have never taken you. And if you just give me a chance, I'm going to turn this thing around. And I remember to this day crying and hearing the voice of the enemy saying, don't believe that. But then on one end, hearing God say, hey, just trust me. And this battle was going on literally in my room in front of my bed as I'm sitting there cutting on myself. And I'm just like, and so much of me... I mean, like, wanted to just die and end it. But then there was a small part of me that just said, hey, let's just live a little longer just to see what happens. Nice. You know, and, and, I, and, and it's just when I hear these kids, man, it really brings um, joy to my heart and to my soul that what I'm doing is going to live uh, is going to outlive me because this book will continue to move from hand to hand, from boy to boy, girl to girl, and it will continue to impact lives. And it's just, it's, it's a blessing because I could not have written this up because if it was left up to Jay, and I tell people this, I'm very honest. I was a kid. You, I was convinced that I was going to die early. Right. I was convinced, and I was okay with that. I mean, I was a kid that, I mean, death, talking about death was common. I, you know, I'm a writer, and I, I wrote about death often. I wrote about flying, and I wrote about disappearing. And, I mean, you know, my, my writing was very dark. It was very uh, uh, close. You know, didn't want to open up to anybody. And... You know, when I hear a kid says, you know, I, you know, I pass the book to my friend, it's just <laughs> leaves me speechless. Yeah. I mean, when I started, you know, just researching for this interview, I, you know, and then I saw her, you know, we, we were just recently talking and, you know, she posted to Instagram about the book. 
And then, you know, she she said something about the book. I had a picture of her son with his friend. And when she posted it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm interviewing him on Thursday. You Did you meet him? She's like, no, I, I, bought, I bought my son the book. And I'm like, really? You know, so to me, it was almost like, you know, I was meant to speak with you. Because when I see things happen like that, it seems like, you know, it's not random to me that, you know, someone I happen to know that wasn't there when I met you is also speaking right. of you. You know, it, it's it's amazing to see. So I know that you are definitely um, making strides, especially with that age from 13 to 18. I have to, you know, do a little confession myself. When I was younger, I did a stunt in foster care. You know, I was really young. Um, I was six, but from six to about 13, I it was rough for me and, I was lucky when I got into a certain foster home where this beautiful woman, loving woman, who was had this huge house. You know, I went from living in, you know, more of an urban area to this gigantic home where I had my own room and, and all these clothes, and I thought it was an amazing thing. And at first I was so upset, like, why? You know, why am I here? I want to be with my parents, you know, but, you know, even from that break, coming back into life with my parents from 13 to 18, it wasn't great. They didn't stay together. Three years later from coming back at 13, they were divorcing, you know. So it was it was just rough for me. And I wish that someone like you had written a book like that that I could read that I knew that I was worthy of something because I definitely felt lost, you know. So that age frame is a lot of people do not want them. A lot of them get timed out of the foster care system. You're doing mm-hmm. such great work. You have two programs, the Me Project and Beast Mode. I don't know if you're still doing Beast Mode as well. I want you to talk about those programs. Um, most definitely, uh, we still do Beast Mode in the summertime for our kids that are athletes. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the the bulk of our work is coming through the the Me and the We project, um, and we're actually relaunching the program again um, for uh, our girls program that we're going to start here. And I, I've been mentoring girls, and we've actually been, you know, uh, functioning in our girls program here. But both of those programs that we've t- taken in various arenas in the school setting, and, and um, it just came out of the foster homes, and so. Uh, I've, I've just been blessed with such a unique gift to be able to reach boys and girls, uh, to be able to do a lot of emotional rebuilding, um, a lot of uh, mentally uh, rehab, you know, for these kids, uh, mm-hmm. really tearing down those walls that they've built up and and helping them rebuild healthy, um, you know, walls. Because we all need walls, you know. Uh, it, it's just it's the type of wall that you're building. Uh, and so, you know, uh, just really helping these kids redefine who they are, um, speaking life into them, working with them very intensely, um, working with them in such a uh, a very powerful way, getting them to open up and to talk about the hurt, the pain, the abandonment. Um, they talk about the resentment and the anger. Um, and a lot of the issues that they've been closed about, you know, some of them talk more to me than they do to their caseworkers. 
because uh, they, they're able to see, you know, the uh, the impact and to see the heart and the passion behind what I do because I tell them all the time, I can't free you. I can only provide you with the tools to free yourself. Right. And but when I when, but when you show them the benefits of being free, they're they're engaged. Mm-hmm. See the issue with most people that are working with teens, they don't show them the benefits of becoming a new person because they're so uh, heavily, you know, into telling them you need to be a new person. But tell me why. Because, see, once you explain the why to me, now I see the value. Because, see, if I don't know the why, then I'm not going to, you know, value the information that you're giving me. Because, see, if I, don't know the purpose, if I don't know the purpose of good credit, I won't understand why I need to have good credit. <laughs> so we have to be able to provide them with not only the tools, but provide them with the benefits that the tool gives them. And that's what I'm able to do on all levels, and whether it's a black kid or white kid. Our program reach a variety of kids from different social economic groups and backgrounds and, you know, very diverse program. And it's growing, and my vision has always been to take this program and this movement globally because I want to reach as many kids as I possibly can because, I believe that one can chase away a thousand and two ten thousand. And with that being said, is that every one kid that I come in contact with that I change for the better to be a king or every young girl that I'm challenging to be a queen, as you said with these kids that are telling their friends about this book, we're impacting lives beyond ourselves. And that's what it's really about. Yes, it is. That's that's really what it's all about. Books that I've read uh, to try to motivate me to to put myself in a, in a different mind frame always say the same thing. It's not about what you can do for yourself and make yourself um, you know, wealthy or rich. It's about what you can contribute back and help others. And when you help others, it just magnifies right back onto you and builds you up even more, and that is the key. Basically, you know, and you have to care about people. You have to care about your earth. There's so many elements to the life that we're living where people have just seemed to become in this day and age just careless and just very ignorant of what this life should be. And it's it's really a scary feeling almost to me, you know, the things that happen with social media and all the things that we're hearing and especially, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and and things that are happening with police brutality that have really always been happening, but it seems to be so much more awareness now. Where do you see yourself going? Do you see yourself remaining and and speaking to the youth, or do you feel like you'll also speak to parents and, you know, maybe possibly Uh, on the footsteps of Dr. Umar Johnson of Hidden Colors? Um, I, I really believe that, you know, I'm going to um, transcend uh, eventually um, into working with parents and to developing parents, uh, mothers and fathers, because I think the key uh, component or the key element to building strong children is 
making sure we build those that create these children. And uh, if you want to know the maker, if you want to know what a thing is going to become, go back to what created it. And so we can change and redirect the path of a lot of our children if we work on the parents. And most of the parents have not had any development and have not had the uh, had not had the proper uh, teaching or education or uh, enlightenment on how to parent. And as I've already started here in uh, creating workshops for parents, it's not about uh, telling them how to parent, but it's providing them with the tools that will make them effective uh, parents and to parent on purpose. And so uh, in the next two to three years, I see myself traveling globally and um, uh, with these workshops and with these uh, events and seminars and sharing uh, my message and sharing um, my intellectual property on how I've been so successful with reaching teens from all walks of life and how I'm able to break the codes that everybody else feels that it's difficult to break. And it's not. And it's learning how, one, to listen without speaking and seeking to understand instead of seeking to be understood. And so if most parents could adopt those two uh, practices, you know, you'll be a further, you'll be a, 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 a alone a lot further because it's removing yourself from um, the uh, situation and seeing, okay, what is, it, what is it that my child needs and what is it that I can give them? Because these kids are, uh, they're faced with a whole lot more than you or I were faced with when we were kids because of the um, speed of, of uh, information, because of this, you know, uh, um, this wave of social media, uh, you know, uh, rapid technology, you know, with information traveling as fast and with everything being uploaded by the moment and by the second. And so with this wave, and so it's very important that, you know, someone is able to teach people how to manage all of this. You know, and it's, it's, it's not about... Yeah, it is. It, 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 it can be very overwhelming, and it can be very overwhelming for a parent to the point to where they just say, hey, listen, man, do what you want. And that's almost where we're at right now because parents don't parent anymore, you know. They're, they're just buying food and paying for a roof over their head. They're not really parenting. And, and, and I tell parents all the time, your child is a reflection of you. You know, no matter what, no matter how go, I'll go, I can tell what you're doing and what you're saying because it's going to come out of him or her. Now, what what kind of message would you give a person that has struggled and and such as yourself maybe never had any closure with their father, you know, their father being absent and out of their lives, and now they're an adult, kind of still... Well, the the key to closure is uh, understanding that forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. And 
there's something that I live by, um, that there is nothing worse than remembering something that you can't change. Right. And by remembering and reliving it over and over and over and over, you're going to live a great amount or you're going to have a great amount of stress and anxiety over your life. And you have to free yourself from the hurt, from the pain. It's never easy. Will you forget? No. It's similar to if you fail and uh, you cut yourself and you had to get stitches. For that moment, you're in pain after the stitches is still hurt. But over time, that pain eventually goes away. Now, that scar will remain, and you're going to be reminded of the incident that happened, but that pain is no longer there. So the same is that the scars may be still there of what happened, what was said, what was done. Either you were violated, you were abused physically, sexually, emotionally, whatever, and all of it is, is very unfortunate. But it's what is unfortunate is that you don't check out of your life because of what somebody else decided to do. Because we can't control what our parents do, who done it to us, but what we can control is how we move on from it. And being victim is easy. Being the victor is hard. Because being the victor means that I have to move beyond what was. Right. And what happened. And it's and it's difficult. But and I tell people is think about what life do you want to live beyond what has happened? Because sometimes we hold the keys to our own prison. Yes. Yes, we do. And because that individual that. because that individual has moved on. That individual has, you know, uh, probably forgotten about it and, you know, and and my thing is don't imprison yourself off of somebody else's crime, you know, and it's important and it's important that you free yourself and free yourself by what I have my kids do is that uh, one of the exercises, I have them write a letter to the individual and sometimes that letter may not get to that individual. But what you're doing is you're freeing your spirit from it. I had I had a young lady that mother got her hooked on cocaine and uh, crack. And, you know, she's in foster care, been in foster care for the past four years because of it. And, she, you know, when, when we started, she was very adamant about, uh, you know, holding on to it and not letting it go. And when I told her, I said, listen, I'm sorry that your mother did that. I'm sorry that she was irresponsible. I'm sorry that she didn't care enough about you and to uh, to be a mother for you. But I said, what I can't be sorry for is I can't be sorry for how you're going to let this affect you for the rest of your life. Because, see, what the victim does is the victim says, this happened to me. Don't expect any much more of me. And then the victim oftentimes get with people that support their actions or, or why they do what they do because of what happened. But so what I'm here to inform you is that that may have happened, but the truth is that you can live beyond that. 
because some of the greatest people have have had to over they had to overcome some of the greatest and difficult challenges to be who they were, not because they had it easy, but because they chose to move beyond what happened. And when you break it down to those kids, and you have to understand that there's life beyond the situation, man, it changes their perspective. And this girl now, I mean, she is, uh, she's getting ready to go to college. I mean, she is, I mean, she, her, her life, I mean, you cannot tell her she's not a queen. You can't tell her she's not going to make it. Because I took the time to break down those walls. And you don't have to break down those walls by yelling, by screaming, and all these weird methods and all of these different, <laughs> you know, stuff that people think that you got to do and kumbayas and all of that, man. <laughs> all it is is that you have to show them what it looks like. Because as kids, what I learned as a kid, we become what we see. Yes, we do. We and if you show me... And if you show me how to win in a losing situation, I never lose a day of my life because I'm going to learn how to walk away with the winning attitude even when I have to take a loss. And that's what it's about. So I would say to those individuals, to that young man or to that young lady, free yourself. Don't live in a jail that you didn't build. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to thank Jay Barnett for coming on to the show today. Two books that are out, the latest one, Young Letters to a Young Queen, Redefining Their Throne, and also Finding Our Lost Kings and Queens, Strategies for Empowering Our Future Kings and Queens. I highly recommend you buy the book for your child. Read the book yourself because it's quite inspirational, and the message itself it, it transcends more than just the youth, even though that's who you're definitely grasping for. But, you know, the, just by the descriptions that I've read, it, it must be so powerful and amazing. Yeah, I'm ready to read it myself, you know, because, yeah. you know, that's from reading the part, you know, where you go, my story is short. And, I'm, you know, I was just amazed by that. But even talking to you and knowing that you've been doing this since you were nine, the experiences, the things that you've seen and being from Mississippi as well and experiencing, like, this generation of sharecroppers, that had to be a heavy influence on you as well. So I'm definitely going to keep following you and supporting the things that you do. You're motivating me to be, you know, more than what I'm doing as well, and I'm happy to have met you. You guys, I want you to support him. His website is j-barnett.com. You can find out so many other elements to Jay as well as acting. I didn't get to touch on that, but, you know, I feel like this message that you have right now is just just overpowering that right now, you know. Right, yes. I did see that you were doing a little acting. You were kind of on a reality series um, and things like that, but ladies and gentlemen, what he's doing right now is what you need to support and follow what he's doing. He's on YouTube. I saw that Tom Joyner reached out to you, so you are doing amazing things. And I hope you come back on the show again when you 
whenever you feel like speaking, I definitely want to have you back on a show on a panel that I want to put together and just speak about certain elements that are, you know, impacting our youth that has to do with hip-hop and things. So I hope you be able to do that. And uh, I hear you're going to be back in New York real soon, so looking forward yeah, to that absolutely. as well. Yes, Thank ma'am. You so Thank, you Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, and don't hang up because I definitely want to get a drop from you. Ladies and gentlemen, Nadine Michelle Bodega Fresh will be back. Thank you. 
Bodega Fresh, your girl Nadine. Oh, man, that was such a great interview with my guest tonight, Jay Barnett, author, motivational speaker, also actor, um, played professional football for the NFL and also arena football. There's two books that are out, Letters to a Young Queen, Redefining Their Throne, and Finding Our Lost Kings and Queens, Strategies for Empowering Our Future. Kings and Queens is just a must-have amongst the 12 to 18-year-old set. And um, my girlfriend, Santry Simon, brought the book for her son. She's also read the book for Letters to a Young Queen. It's a very powerful book. I mean, some of the descriptions I read in the interview are just true to form. If you go to Amazon.com, you can find both books there. He is currently right now at the Tom Joyner family reunion so I know he's definitely crushing it out there and giving his motivational speaking and and also slamming with some poetry real powerful poet the the man has is an ordained minister since the time he was 12 so definitely want to thank again Jay Barnett for coming on to the show you guys support him he's doing such great things with our youth and this is the first in a series of conversations I'm going to have leading up to the Million Man March. That's right. This year is the 20-year anniversary of the Million Man March, and that is happening October 10th in Washington, D.C. I'm going to try to make it out there. It's going to be bananas. Um, Minister Farrakhan is definitely on top of the game. He has a Facebook out right now. It's called 20-Year Anniversary of Million Man March. Check it out. And... Everybody's going to be there. It's going to be phenomenal. I can't believe it's been 20 years. I don't feel that old. And um, I was going to say it, I'm not that old. So (laughs) 20-year anniversary of Million Man March. Um, A a slew of speakers are going to be there. But you guys definitely follow me through that. My next show is on September 20th. And I'm not going to tell you right now who I'm going to bring. I'm going to keep it a surprise. But um, look out. Check me out on Facebook, Nadine Michelle, and also Bodega Fresh Radio on Facebook as well. You got to check that out. So a couple of things. This is Labor Day weekend. You guys out in Brooklyn tomorrow, be safe during that parade. Let's, like, get through that day without any fatalities. This weekend is shaping up to be a little crazy already. So let's try to keep everyone safe out there in Brooklyn, Bucktown. Let's calm down out there. All my Haitian masses, all my people, my cousins, Mimi, Mimi, my cousin Mimi, happy birthday. Want to shout out my cousin Mimi. I had to say that. Happy birthday to you, baby girl. Um, Be safe out there. I don't think you guys go to parade, but be safe regardless. And let's see. One of the things I wanted to play before I get out of here and, um, it is definitely a little something, something about the book, Letters to a Young Queen, Redefining Their Throne. Understand, ladies, uh, a lot of us, men and women, boys and girls, go through so much drama. And um, our focus is just n- nowhere to be seen. And, and when we don't know what our path is and we don't plan and, and try to reach our goals, then our life kind of becomes chaotic. You know, you're leaving it up to chance and you should never leave your life up to chance. You are the director of your life. You should definitely sit it out, plot it out. You're the star. The 
It's like you're the movie star. And everyone in front of you is your audience. And all you got to do is direct yourself properly. And you will become a magnificent star of your own film, your life, you know. So um, check out those books. And I'm going to get into a little Dope Girl Magic by my girl, Book Brown, featuring Invincible and Star, you guys. October 10th is the Million Man March. Happens to also be A3C Festival. But Million Man March, take president to that. I'm also working on something really, really great. I'm going to tell you guys about it. It's coming up in November. <laughs> I got something cooking for you guys. But tune in to the next show, September 20th. I'm going to get into this dope girl magic. Book brown, y'all. It's Bodega Fresh. I'll be back September 20th, your girl Nadine, and I'm out. Bye. Cadabra, waving the wand of gray matter Watching your thoughts scatter overhead like mad It's being massive, you haphazard Kill the dramatic, fakeness repel automatic Jones and for clones and your dome's closed in You trapped in the square, I got Bahama breeze in my hair Just cool, but fools like piñata Mentally, all that is dope, I am attention Metaphor juju, lyrical voodoo Phillips drive, screw you, we done off the one off No hit, wonders, blunder, hat tricks, lights a hand Flow, excite your fam, dope girl to some run, but she fight back. Have my way with the tracks, and I fade in the black. Sweeter than cake cups, smearing they makeup, ringing them bells like that. Grab the mic and rock around. How I
in the movie. I hear sirens in the distance. Uh huh. Up the block, I hear gunshots, cussing and whatnot. What the blood? From Gabu with a nostrum, something to indict me. You hear the sound, see the flash like thunder and lightning. Tears drop like rain. The block stay on fire like the pavement on a hot day. It's Friday, beginning of the weekend, late night. We out here, slinging while you sleeping. Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, Jamaicans and Haitians, man, it's all the same shit. We came on the slave ship, we trapped in the trap. 2009, nigga, no matter the year, we stay on the grind, nigga. Calling ourselves bossing up, but we still in the field like Jeter. The crackers is time, brand on my mind clearer. I see the game for what it is, it's more than life than chasing paper. Ducking these fucking pigs. These motherfuckers ain't even on my level. That's bullshit, though. Yeah, speaking of the devil. No flash, no flash. Born the clash, I'm sorry, headline, all the days of time. Stop story, headline, all the days. They say the seat for the job took a handsome bribe. Now it's bitch everywhere, and he hard to find. Super prime on the grind, and I'm out of time. You can gain the whole world and just lose your mind. And young, and you can hug the block, but it don't hug back. When it do, with a squeeze to your spine, go slap. Light feet chase paper till they lungs just collapse. Ain't no freedom at the trap, it's as simple as that. Play a hater, no mind, they don't matter. And while we're slaves, you can just kill masters. Slaves getting praised to God, masters, interest. The nature can feel it when I snap the clip and blap. It's not a threat, that's the old get well a cat shell shop over get a dose. New York hours, baby, we never close And however the bank go, my balance don't broke This smoke, no slash, more the clash I'm sorry, headline, all the days of time I'm sorry, headline, all the days So let me tell you about America, the plantation It's about to burn like terror did it Going with the wind, that's why they going in They know the end is near Israel is about to disappear Man, listen here, you better get prepared They going all out they prepared to bring the nukes out and take us all out with the fallout. Until then, they got the dogs out, sniffing for felonies. From here to Tel Aviv, across the seven seas. They start a new world order. Family rapper drink my own urine. They drink this New York water, cause that's suicidal. Tell them what it's doing to your insides. They got me salty like the Mickey D's French fries. They got your pressure high. And pressure bust pipes. We all screwed and I ain't talking about our love life. But through it all, I still love life. I'm still optimistic, trying not to. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.